Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each Sunday, you'll join us at the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Audie. This week, we are starting our new series in the book of Matthew titled Living the Life of the Beloved and the Belonged. Enjoy. On our stuff for today, we're now you might remember a while back that I, t- that I said that what we're going to do in terms of this particular series is we're going to be working our way through Matthew 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. But one of the things I thought that we should do today is set the stage for that, okay? Because one of the aspects of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and you probably have already read it, but even if you haven't, is that it's filled with wonderful theology as well as very practical stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there about prayer and about our Christian life and all those kinds of things. And if we don't set the stage for that in a, in a proper way, then what happens is the tendency is to take practical stuff in the Bible and turn it into something that it was never intended to be. An example of that is, is that sometimes what can happen is people look at the the practical side of Christian living and they say, oh, here it is. Here's all the answers I need for life. Or here's the blueprint that if I just follow this blueprint, then my life will be successful. Then my life will be happy. And that's not necessarily the case. All right. The approach that I'm going to be taking in terms of the Sermon on the Mount has more to do with the idea of thinking about what does it look like? And, and what sort of experience do we have being God's beloved? And, you know, I'm hitting that theme really hard here because this is one of those things I think in our world today that's missing. I think that we have whole generations of people who do not believe that they are loved by God, nor do they belong to him. And when you, when you are absent that in your life, what happens is, is that because the desire and the need to be loved and the desire to belong to something is innate. It's something built into us. If I'm not getting that from God, I'm going to look someplace else for some sort of substitute. And so then it becomes kind of like that old song, looking for love in what? All the wrong places. All the wrong places. And the problem is with all the wrong places is that they feel real. They feel like they have something to offer. They feel substantive. And that's what makes them attractive because, okay, well, if I can't get the real thing, then what I'm going to get is the next best thing. And since the next best thing seems like it fits, it seems like it's the thing that's going to work. Why not? Why not? And that's the world we live in today. People have lost touch with and that connection if you will, to God. And when you lose that connection to God, or if you you even say to yourself, well, you know, God's fine. He's up in heaven. If he even exists, if that's what you say, then you're, what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from the, from the very life source that would give you that sense of being beloved and that sense of belonging that innately every single one of us needs. Does that make sense? Okay. So the idea that the approach here with the sermon on the Mount is that Jesus was very intentional about who he was talking to when he preached, when he preached and taught the uh, Matthew five to seven. And, w- and when we get to it later, we'll see that, that, that he drew, he draws his disciples in and he distinguishes disciples from the rest of the crowds that were following him for a variety of reasons. Right. 
And he begins to teach them in terms of this is what it means that you're beloved. This is what it means that you belong. This is the difference that it makes in your life. And because it makes that difference in your life, because God moves in your life in that way, then you have the opportunity or you have the privilege to share that with somebody else so that that life then can also be something that they enjoy or that they are blessed by as well. Okay, tracking with me? All right. So what we're going to do this morning is kind of a little, to some degree, go back over some things that we've already kind of talked about in here. Partly, again, we're exposing, you know, a larger group now to, uh, to the things we're talking about. But it's also to remind ourselves that anything that we do in our, in our Christian walk is always a response to what God has already done for us. And see, that's what keeps us from thinking kind of uppity about what it is we're doing or how well we're doing. And it's human nature for us to want to do that, right? When we look at some of the things that uh, God's word has to say about what it means, for example, to walk, in, walk with Jesus, to care about others, for example. One of the things, again, if we sort of uh, confuse what the purpose of those words is, it's very easy for us to conclude that, well, if I just do that better and better every day, I can earn favor with God. I, he will look upon me in a, in a better way. Maybe even I can score points and get a better deal when I get to heaven, right? I mean, these are all the different ways that we take what God offers as his wisdom and God offers as his word. And we kind of uh, manipulate it a little bit to serve our own interests rather than to do the, the very thing that God himself wants us to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with a little bit of an opening discussion. What does it mean to be loved and to belong? How many of you are loved here? Oh, good. Most of us. Uh, how many of you belong? Oh, awesome. Okay. What, what do those mean? What does it mean? How do you know when you're loved? How do you, maybe that's a better way of saying it. How do you know? Uh-oh, no hands. Do what? You feel safe and content. Okay, you feel safe and content all the time. Oh, okay. Hopefully most of the time, but again, sometimes our experience of being loved and what we feel in terms of being loved doesn't always match what is said, right? Or what has been, uh, been defined as love, all right? So it's, you're, you're hitting it, but we're, we're kind of going a little bit different here, all right? Yeah. The genius table. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's when you see someone do something that is a sacrifice for them for your benefit. Mm-hmm. To go out of their way. Yeah. Good. So Richard says that how you would know that you're loved is that somebody else is willing to make sacrifices on your behalf that have your best interests at heart and maybe don't even have, maybe there's some expense on their part. I mean, that, 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 that's what makes it a sacrifice. Yeah, John, add to that. Well, I think a love is, is, is shown through some daily or recurring affirmation okay, from other people. Okay. But the real test comes when you really screw up and they forgive you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like, wow. Yeah. So again, it, we could tie it back to what Richard said with respect to 
to sacrifice, that, that forgiveness really does require uh, or involve a sacrifice on my part to let go of or to, to, to not hold against, that's kind of what the Bible talks about, to not hold against the hurt that that other person caused and not to hold it against them, but rather to be able to let that go. So again, the idea of, the idea of sacrifice. I like, that, I like that idea of being loved, that it's, it's more than a feeling, it's more than words, it's nice when words match the the experience, but I think it really does involve this idea of the willingness to sacrifice for somebody else. Did you have your hand up, Victoria? No, I was giving an example, but I've changed my mind. Okay. It's amazing what a little bit of recording does for some people. No, no, no. I'll, 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 I'll give it. You got to go there. Uh, no, well, what happened was, you know, we got up here to Sunday school this morning, yeah. and I looked around to get a pen to take dubious notes with, and I couldn't find my purse. Well, it was under the pew in the church yes. where I had left it not yes. just five minutes ago. Yes. And without even just another breath, Rod says, honey, I'll go get it. Oh. So I up and runs again. He doesn't say, oh, you better go get that, honey. No. He just hopped up to go get it. And he didn't even say, like, how many times have you left your purse? He didn't even say that. I mean... Good heavens, yeah. But that's a good example of that, isn't it? Where it's inconvenient, you're willing to inconvenience yourself for somebody else. That's kind of how, again, I don't know that that's the definition of love, but you sure know when you're, when you're on the receiving end of that. Absolutely. We should give you a gold star. Where are my gold stars when I need them? Yeah, Gina. Well, you feel like that if it's true love, then it's not going to be conditional. Ah, so now we get into a little bit deeper definition of love, particularly when we're talking about God's love toward us and then the opportunity that we have to be loving other people is that there's an unconditional aspect to that, meaning that they don't earn it, they don't deserve it any more than we do with God. Well, and I think you get a lot of the parents and the grandparents, if you ask them, I mean, you know, don't count how many times that your kids or your grandkids just annoyed you crazily. Yes. You still love them. Yes. No matter yeah. how many mistakes they've made, right. how many wrong choices that they've made, you still love them. Yeah, that's right. And we could probably talk to any number of the uh, people in here who are parents who have their adult children in here. And we probably could get any number of examples of that. <laughs> but we unfortunately would run out of time because there's just so many examples of that. All right. What about belonging? What is it? What, how, how do you know when you belong? Do you want to answer that or do you want to go back to? I was going back one. Okay, go back Wouldn't one. Wouldn't we all like to be loved unconditionally like a dog does? Yeah. I mean, it would be great. Like a comfort dog does, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly right. You can have your worst day and you could even be mean to that dog. God forbid that you would. Pick up on when you feel bad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so what about belong? What about belong? How do you know when you belong? Again, see, being loved and belonging, those are two innate needs. We, grow, we come into the world with that. All right? So how, how do you know? Yeah, Mary Jo. I think there's a, a feeling of um, a connection, for one thing. Okay, connection. Yeah. There is a connection. There is a feeling of completeness, maybe, or yeah. contentment. 
Yeah, and to some degree, it's kind of like it's hard to define, but you know it when it's not there. Okay? So, like, have you ever, like, shown up at something and you thought you had been invited? <laughs> you know, because somebody said, oh, everybody come. Yeah, every, oh, oh, we're all going to be there. Every, you, you come on. And then you're thinking, well, I didn't get an invitation. Like, maybe it didn't come in the mail and, or maybe it just got lost or something. And so you show up and you're a little tentative when you walk in. And it's more felt, isn't it? It's kind of like that experience. And then the host or hostess looks at you and without even moving her lips, she says, what are you doing here? <laughs> now, that's an experience, right, of, of not belonging or feeling like you don't belong. So when I think of belonging, I think of the idea that there's a space for you. There's a place for you. How many of you grew up with... Uh, People would come over to eat, and there was the big people table, and there was the kids table. Everybody, how many grew up with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you were, you were happy, okay, when you were a little kid, you were happy to be at the little kids table, because then that way you didn't go hungry, right? Okay. Um, but what a, what a moment that was when somebody said, come on up to the big, the big people table, Right. And you got to eat what, like the big people, you know, it was steak instead of hamburger, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite side, your wife said, would you sit at the kid's table and keep them under control? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. You, we have a job for you and it's over here. Yeah. But there's something about that. But again, see, that's that idea of the feeling of that you belong. That if the, it's the feeling that, that I, I'm, I'm where I need to be or I'm where I'm supposed to be. Okay, does that make sense? And so, see, again, it's, this idea is when, when we come into the world, we, we have that innate uh, need for that. And when you grow up in a loving family and they're always kind of going goo-goo, goo-goo over you and all that kind of stuff, then you grow up feeling that sense of being loved and that sense of belonging. It's a little tougher for people that, that grow up in families where that's not the case or where people grow up in families where, uh, where they're adopted or when people grow up in families where someone is not as available to always uh, affirm that sense of being loved and that sense of belonging. That's a little, that's a little tougher. Yeah. Is it also, you could say it's synonymous with a feeling of acceptance. Yeah. You could kind of say it that way. Yeah. yeah. We're going to kind of run with that idea of acceptance a little bit because because the way that our world today defines acceptance is not consistent with the way that Jesus does. So the world has kind of redefined it, and we've sort of let the world do that by not asserting uh, where Jesus is coming from in terms of acceptance uh, as a process. Okay, had a hand up. Uh, Priscilla and I were members first and raised our kids uh -huh. in the old church. In the old church? From Richardson High School. Yeah. My job carried me to Pennsylvania, and we were gone for 12 years. Came back to Messiah. Uh huh. It was like we'd never been gone. Had somebody sat in your pew, though, while you were gone? <laughs> we didn't, we didn't have you didn't come in and try to take that over, did you? Yeah. I mean, again, that, you know, but that sense of belonging, we've kind of laughed about that in here, but when you have your space, Right. And I don't know, some people, they must take some little ribbon or something and put that around theirs. Because even when they're gone on vacation, 
Nobody sits in their space because they're, you know, fearful of some, you know, demon or something. So anyway, that, but that's that sense of, that's that sense of belonging. And that's, this is that sense of space, right? So all of those things are connected to that. Well, let's take a look at uh, a wonderful scripture that describes for us beautifully what this idea of love, and I'm going to connect the two, love and belonging. I'm, it, so I want you to think of them uh, not synonymously in the sense that they mean the same thing, but together, all right? When we talk about being beloved, then we also talk about belonging. They, they, they would go together. But notice what uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 7 says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's kind of interesting that what he's saying is, is that, that this love, and again, the, the Greek word here is agape. So it's agape love. We're talking about unconditional. We're talking about God's initiating love toward us, right? But then the opportunity that we would have to extend God's love to other people, he's saying that's the X factor. That's the X factor. That's the thing that makes the difference in terms of not just what you can do, like fathom all mysteries and speak in amazing ways, right? It's not what you do, but it's what changes who you are. And when it changes who you are, that changes then people's receptivity to what you are doing. So when you look at terms of patient and kind and all those kinds of things, how many of you would say that you've done a pretty good job of living up to this this past week? Even I was having a hard time with this, especially when we were watching the Giants play. So that was really hard to do. Yeah. So one of the things we always remember and that we always start with is that this is God's love toward us. That the, the emphasis here is initially is not on my doing it with you, but rather the idea that God is doing it with us and look all the ways that God does that. He's patient with us and he's kind and he doesn't envy any. It's not proud. And, and I love the fact that he keeps no record of wrongs that God is willing to, to make the sacrifice as we talked about with respect to love is that God makes the sacrifice of himself for our benefit. And then he says, and now I empower you to do the same with each other. So the beloved and belong principle number one is, is that God's love always seeks, S-E-E-K-S, seeks a relationship with you. Well, what if you're not open to that? They're patient. See, what if... You're pretty convinced that, yeah, um, you know, God is there and I'm glad he is. But, you know, I got things pretty well handled. 
I've got my life pretty much laid out where, how I want it to be and where I want it to go. And I'm glad God is there, kind of like I'm glad that, that that little thing in the wall that's painted red says, in case of fire, do what? Yeah, pull handle, break glass, right? Okay, I'm glad it's there. And I can go about my day and go about my life in case I need it. Well, if I'm distancing myself from God in that way, God still seeks a relationship with me. Because he loves you anyway. He what? He loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. Now, he doesn't probably always like us. <laughs> Have you, isn't there like a difference there? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we can really relate to that. All right. But he's always seeking, meaning that he waits for us to come back. And at times he comes to find us, right? And so you think of the story of the prodigal son as an example. In the story of the prodigal son, the youngest went away and the father didn't chase after him, did he? But he waited by the door for that son to finally come to his senses and come back. But with the older son, what did he do? He stayed and complained. No, 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 no. What with the older son, what did the father do? He didn't wait by the door. What did he do? Just continued to love. He went out to the field. Yeah, the brother wasn't going to come in because he's all mad. You know, you're throwing a party for this creepy brother of mine. But what about me? And, and so the father goes to him. He extends himself. He sacrifices his own dignity. He sacrifices his own privilege, his own right, all those things for the sake of loving that, uh, that son of his. So the beloved and belong principle number two is that God's love empowers you to love others the way that God loves you. How does God love you? What is God's greatest challenge in loving you? I'm not looking at anybody in particular here. I'm just, <laughs> I just happen to be standing right here and happening to look down. Yes. But think about it. What is, what is God's greatest challenge in loving you? Your hand is not open. It's closed. Okay. Sometimes we're kind of selfish, right? See, what part of me gets in the way of God's loving me? And if you think about it from that perspective, then it might be in God's interest and mine for him to kind of work on that on me, right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago with respect to like you're this rock and God is the sculptor. So how's it, how does he chip away at the part that doesn't really fit to reveal the beauty that's inside? What does he do? Hammers away at you, right? Okay, good. All right. So Jesus is agape love. And here's kind of where we go off on that accepting part that we talked a little bit about before. Jesus's expression of this agape love is that he accepts people where they are but he doesn't leave them where he found them. And that's, there's a distinction between that and the way the world looks at this idea of acceptance because acceptance in the minds of the world means is that you take people as they are and then you accept them where they are. And then there's no change in the way they are. And, and that is being portrayed as loving somebody. It's kind of like that tolerance thing, right? Is that we have to be tolerant. And that means everybody should has their own path and we honor everybody's own path, and there's no change in them or change in the path. And there's that subtle difference here, that what, but it's a very profound difference, that Jesus takes people where they are, oh yes, 
Jesus never walked away from somebody because he was repulsed by them. I challenge you to look through the Bible and find that. Even his enemies, he went right to them. People that didn't understand him, people that didn't even like him. He, he never walked away in that sense. He, he took people where they were. But then what was it like for them once he encountered them? Their lives were changed. Okay. And that's kind of the interesting aspect of that. So a, gra- a great story of that is in John 8 verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to ride on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left and the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. A couple things kind of jump off the page there for me, maybe for you too, in the story. It kind of takes two people to do adultery. Have you noticed that little detail there, right? And so then they, they grab the woman and they drag her out, okay? And, of course, they're doing this to make the point. They're not doing this because they care about her or care about what she's doing, all right? The second thing, they make her stand before the group, a very shaming kind of moment. You notice that? And we notice the, the comparison of the contrast of, of their response to her sin, was sin present in her? Yeah, adultery is kind of one of the commandments, right? Okay, yeah. So sin was present. But notice what their reaction or their response to a sinful person is. They shame that person. Notice how Jesus does not shame that person, right? In fact, he kind of stoops down. And to some degree, he's responding to them initially, rather than pointing out what's going on with her. And then, of course, the part about let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. What do you make of the fact that it was the older ones who went away first? (laughs) What do you you make of that? Who are the smarter ones in the group, right? Yeah. But also, you know, there's a maturity there that goes along with that, is there not? Yeah, we all kind of look at each other and we go, ooh, kind of got caught up in the fervor of this and, and, you know, all this sort of, go. we're going to really get him this time. And then Jesus goes right to the heart and you're, you're sort of left with dealing with, uh, dealing with your heart. So he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. If, if he had just stopped with, neither do I condemn you, it would be very easy for us to conclude that Jesus is kind of whitewashing the sin, right? 
that Jesus is really saying, well, you know, it's understandable given the life that you had and maybe the upbringing you had and, and maybe, you know, there's no social network for you. And so, you know, what else can you do? Right. That would be kind of the way that, that people would say that today in looking at her sin. But Jesus says, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not here to do that, but I'm still going to address the sin, right? He doesn't, he doesn't pretend that the sin doesn't exist. What does he do? He says, go now and do what? Leave it. That because this sin and this life that you're leading is killing you. It's distancing you from God, number one, but it's killing you internally, number two. Yeah, Brian. What's the significance of riding on the ground? Yeah, Where that's what I was going to ask. The significance of riding on the ground? Sounds like it voids them and rides on the Yeah, you know, I don't know because... Uh, we're, it doesn't leave us any indication that, you know, was he like writing their names in the ground, you know, or uh, was he doodling? I don't know. What do you think? Do you have some thoughts? Yeah. I think the reason the old guys left first was because Jesus was writing key words of things they thought were secret that they had done. And he went down. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I, mean, and, I like to think that what he wrote down was extremely important. When they saw what he wrote, oops. Yeah, maybe that maybe that could be. And because they were the older guys, the list was getting longer and longer. You know, maybe that's what it was. Bob, did you were you thinking the same thing? Yeah, I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. He wasn't writing the whatever list, was he? He was writing the uh, the other part. Yeah, could be the seven deadly sins, so to speak, if we would describe it that way. And But whatever it was, what it did do, I think, is it helped to shift their focus off of the woman and onto him. Because notice he didn't say anything. And this is a good example of the power of silence. Is that sometimes it isn't what you say, it's what isn't being said. And that quiets the clamor here. And then all of a sudden they're looking down and as they're looking down, maybe either on the basis of what he was writing or just the fact that, come on, they're in the presence of the son of God. And there's a little bit of convicting going on there, right? That all of a sudden they realized, oh man, you know, he's looking at us and here we're so busy looking at her. Okay. Great point. What's amazing, too, is, is the extreme patience he showed because they kept badgering him with questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, because that shows up in the detail, doesn't it? Yeah. And he doesn't defend. He just, he sort of allows it to burn itself out. Uh, because stops in silence or something. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And he, I mean, again, he's the son of God. He could have called down thunder from heaven right then. And that would have got their attention, but he doesn't do that. So we link that now to the verse in John 13, 34, where again, Jesus says a new command. I give you love. And he's using that word agape, love one another as I have loved you. What? So you must love one another. So again, as God loves us, so we think, I draw the heart up here, if you think of it that way, is that what God does is he says, here's my heart, and I give my heart to you. I give my love to you. When I do that, now my heart enlarges to include you. And then when you and I love one another, now my heart 
enlarges to include one another. Would you hold this for a minute? Because we're going to throw that away later. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I'll dig out another red one. But does that make sense? See, it's, it's not that I have the power to love somebody else without the power that comes from God, at least to, to do it in that unconditional way. I think sometimes our love is a little bit of a mix, you know, a little percentage of unconditional and conditional, right? And kind of how you would know that is if the love is not returned, right? If, you know, if I do something for you and then you do something for me, well, then we had a good little bargain there and it's going to be a whole lot easier for me next time to love you because next time I'll remember what? Oh yeah. Well, when I loved you, you loved me back. And so that was a good little trade. And so now the next time that I have the opportunity to love you, I'm going to love you. Right? So there's a little bit of self-serving in there, but what happens if I love you and love you and love you and love you and you don't even love me back. What will happen the next time I have the opportunity to love you? I'll avoid you. Yeah, I'm probably not going to love you. I'm probably going to say, you know, it probably is better if I put that energy and that effort into somebody that will return it back to me in some way. And that's where God's love for us, his agape love for us, that's the distinction. Because we, by nature, continually say, oh, thank you very much for that love. And we go our, our own way, and then we're not loving him back. Yeah, Bob. God's love for us is an act of his will. Yes. And our love, when we uh, express God's love, it's an act of our will. Not so much our feelings. Correct. Our will. Yes. We're not talking about feelings here. I mean, again, it's not to say that we're void of them, right? No. We're not void of them because, uh, come on, we're human. Yeah, of course, we're human. But it's even those times when you don't feel like loving somebody. In the same way that we might even be able to say there are moments in God's life where he didn't feel like loving people. Particularly when they were rejecting him. But we let the will, the act of, the objective reality of that love, we let that be the thing that determines what we do, not how we feel. Am I saying that right? Okay, good, thanks. I love it when I say it right. Okay, so beloved and belong, principle number three, is accepting someone with all their faults means will it being willing to walk with them, W-A-L-K, walk with them. As God changes them, and who? You. See, sometimes when we walk with others who are struggling, we're thinking, well, I'm so glad that God is working in their lives, right? <laughs> I'm so glad that we're starting to see a difference in that person's life. That person is starting to turn it around, and we are so thankful for that. And we are genuine when we say that, aren't we? Right? It doesn't even occur to us that God is changing us. And to some degree, I think a little, at times we're a little bit indignant that we would even need changing or improving in some way. But see, that's again the idea of accepting somebody. Yeah, you take people where they are. We don't shun people because they're different. We don't look at people funny and say, ooh, I don't know about you. <laughs> Walk away. We don't do that. Now, humanly, we do it, Right. But that's what we have to overcome. We have to overcome that. 
We're going to walk with people. I think sometimes when people have struggles in life, we're a little bit worried that their struggle is contagious, right? That somehow what they're dealing with, whatever it is, if it's a gender thing, if it's a sin thing, if it's a habit thing, whatever it is, we we get all worried about that. Like, uh uh-oh, that's going to rub off on me somehow. And then, oh boy, what are we going to do then? Right? Jesus didn't have that issue. And it's the power of this agape love that it actually enables us to do that, but we still have to do it. So we walk alongside with somebody in their struggle and we feel with them. We, we wrestle with them. We do all those things. And as we do that, what happens is, is that the love that God has for us starts to do what? It leaks out. And it's the power of that love that changes people. It isn't because you told them to, right? It isn't because you uh, recorded a great sermon one time that you heard and then gave them the CD and said, here, listen to this, right? It isn't that. It's, it's how you connect with people that that love flows through God to you and it changes other people's lives. But guess what? It also changes your life. Thoughts on this? Wow, it got quiet all of a sudden, didn't it? All right. All right. So, so how does this all sort of flow together? There's a sequence, and that's kind of what, again, I've tried to put it up here on the board with the triangle and the circle and the, the little stick people here. All right. There's a sequence in terms of how this flows and how this works. And again, we've, we've talked about this at, uh, at different times. So the sequence begins for us as Christians at our, at our baptism. And it's not just our baptism, but the real sequence begins with Jesus when he was baptized. So we go back to Matthew 3 and we recall that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then here comes the voice from heaven, right? This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. There's so much packed into those words that God was giving to Jesus. This is my son. The word my there indicates a sense of belonging, right? Not just anybody's son, but what? My son, right? And his identity, whom I love. There's that word agape again. And what's interesting about that is that where, is, where does this take place in Jesus's life and ministry? At the very beginning, he hasn't done anything yet, right? So that really gives us that sense of unconditional nature here, that what God is doing is setting in Jesus's mind some concrete foundational words that Jesus is going to need to go back to again and again and again in his life because of all the rejection that he's going to suffer and all the struggle he's going to have with people who are going to try to to deny that very thing uh, in terms of the unconditional nature of the love. Yes, Victoria. Well, is it also significant that this is one of the only places in Scripture where you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all showing up at the same time, saying this is the starting place, we're all in this together, and we're all going forward from here. Totally, that's a great point, that it's a triple... The triple uh, aspect of, a, of an affirmation. Really good, really good. So then he says, with him, and we always kind of run these words together. With him, I am well pleased. 
But I like the idea of breaking it up. With him, I am. What's that promise? What's that promising? God's presence. God's presence. And what is God's name? I am. With him, I am. With Jesus, all through his life, as an expression of my love, I am with him. And then I am with, I am well pleased. That idea of pleased, again, it's, it's, it's crucial here. Jesus hasn't raised anybody from the dead yet. He hasn't fed 5,000 people yet. He hasn't healed the sick yet. He hasn't done anything it, 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 with respect to that. And yet, what does God say of him with you, I am well pleased. Not your achievements, not your performance, not how many, what your numbers are, right? Not how, what the quota is. He hasn't done any of that. What he's focusing in on is who Jesus is. Now, notice this verse in Galatians, because this is a verse that we don't often look at, but we want to remember that the verse in what Galatians 3 is talking about is the linkage between our baptism and Jesus's baptism. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Key phrases there. All of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. That the promises that were given and extended, those very words that God gave to his son at his baptism, now in through our baptisms, God says to us those very same words. And so then he personalizes it. And through baptism, God is saying to each of us, or has said to us, if you've already been baptized, he says, you are my child whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. And we haven't done anything yet. And we haven't done anything yet. And the thing is, who could, right? That's the nature of this unconditional love. Okay, we're going to stop for today, as is usual. We get uh, halfway through the outline, and then we just stop when the time is up. And uh, then we'll pick it up with this, uh, with this next week. Also want to remind you that on Easter Sunday which is two weeks from today. There won't be any Sunday school class at all. Philip and I were, uh, he's not here now, but Philip and I were talking about having something uh, provided on the podcast. Uh, and we don't know yet what it'll be. Might, there might be already some question and answer stuff that we get from people around the world uh, or just uh, from Plano. And uh, if that's the case, we'll respond and we'll do something. So we'll still have that uh, opportunity. Okay, let's uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, uh, again, your word written so long ago, but oh my heavens, a word that actually speaks to us in the way that we absolutely need to hear these days. There's so many, so many of us, Lord, that go through life struggling with, do I belong and, and am I really loved? And it seems like the experience that we have in this life and in this world is so conditional that yes, I belong and yes, I be am, am beloved, but only if I've accomplished something or only if I am I good for it in some way. You remind us in your word that it isn't about what we do. It's about what you've done for us in your son, Jesus. So we thank you for that. And not only do we thank you that, but we thank you for empowering us to be of that love and to share that love every single day. 
So I pray for each one of us here this morning, Lord, that you'll challenge us to do that. You'll remind us that uh, you are ever present with us and that uh, we belong to you and are loved by you. Watch over us, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com with your question or comment, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming episode. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement, our tagline is sharing his light. And that means sharing the light of Christ through worship, study of his word, and loving our neighbor, whomever or wherever they may be. That's the reason we're bringing this podcast to you in your home, on your commute, to your weekly Bible study, your personal devotion, whatever. We want to share his light with you. If this podcast has brought any value to you in some way, whether it is getting to know God and his word better, looking at a particular message in the Bible a different way, inspiring you or giving you some motivation throughout your week. If you want to help us in our endeavor to share his light, please take just a few minutes to go to our podcast page in the iTunes store and write us a review. Not only will your review provide us here at Messiah with valuable feedback we can use to help improve the podcast and better deliver his message to you, but your review will also help us climb the rankings and spread this podcast and Christ's word to more people. If you want to know more about Messiah's Upper Room Podcast or Messiah Lutheran Church in general, you can visit our website at messiahlutheranpodcast.com where you can find links to all of our previous episodes, notes used during each class that are available for download, and where you can find us on the social networks. There, we also have a subscribe section that will point you directly to where you can subscribe and receive Messiah's Upper Room podcast each week through iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, basically whatever your podcast catching application of choice may be. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.